Welcome to Torah Di Mechanach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Adina Schmidman, and today we will be learning Sefer Yehoshua, Perak Yud Aleph, 11. Perak Yud describes the remarkable southern conquest, starting with the rescue of the city of Givon from the five Canaani kings due to the treaty with B'nai Yisrael. After the decisive victory with the sun standing still in Givon, Yoshua continues to obliterate city after city with the hand of Hashem directing each victory. Parak Yud Aleph opens with Yavin, the king of Chatzor, reaching out to his co-kings in the north and across the land of Israel to come out in an all-out massive attack against the Jewish nation. Pasuk Aleph. And it was when Yavin, the king of Chatzor, heard, he sent to Yovav, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and the king of Achshaf. Now, you might think, although looking at today's landscape, maybe you wouldn't think, that the northern kings would have rethought their decision to attack the Jews. But no. They all jumped on the opportunity to attack the Jewish nation. They armed themselves to the teeth, having seen the defeat of the five southern kings. Maybe they didn't have enough arms, horses, and chariots. So these kings came prepared. Pasuk Dalit 4. Vayetzu heim v'chol machanehem imam. Amrav kachol asher asfas hayam larov. V'sus v'rechev rav ma'od. They went out along their camps, many people, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and a great multitude of horses and chariots. Pasuk Hei 5, And all of these kings gathered together, They came and encamped together at the Sea of Merom to wage war against Israel. If you take a look at the battles, you'll notice a transition from overt divine involvement to a more subtle divine involvement. Let's start with Yericho. The walls fall by the force of the shofar and the cries of the people in the presence of the Aron with no loss of life. I, after the first tragic defeat, the second attempt is a decisive and strategic victory with the direction of Hashem. The ambush draws the people out of the city, and the city is burned, with Yahushua holding his spear high to direct the people's focus heavenward. Next, the war of the southern kings. After they band together and attack Givon, Yahushua comes quickly. The war is fought decisively, and the enemy begins to run. At that point, there's confusion, hailstones that only hit the Knanim, the sun stands still, and city after city falls with no loss of life. Hashem moves in toward the aftermath of the war. And finally, here with the northern kings, Hashem is present, but behind the scenes. Pasuk Vav 6. Vayomer Hashem el Yehoshua, al tira mipnehem. Hashem says to Yehoshua, do not fear them. Because tomorrow, at this time, I will deliver them as corpses before Israel. Hamstring their horses, 
and burn their chariots with fire. Why would Yoshua suddenly be afraid? The Mamloes offers three reasons. One, perhaps with the odds stacked against the Jewish people, the miracles would need to be so remarkable and the people might not merit this level of intervention. Second, perhaps they, quote, traded in their merits and did not merit more victories. Or three, perhaps there was sin in the camp. Hashem reassures Yoshua not to fear as he will be there. I will give them all to you tomorrow as corpses. You'll lame their horses so you won't think that it is because of the horses that you are winning wars. How could this be allowed? Isn't this Tsar Balei Chaim tormenting and torturing living animals? Hamstringing horses was a practice used by victorious armies to assure that their enemies' horses could not be used in battle again. It involved severing the leg tendon on the horse so that it could not gallop. While it sounds cruel, many of the horses could still be used for farming. Horses and chariots were ancient weapons of war, and so this age-old practice of hamstringing enemy horses and burning chariots is based on the same principle of modern warfare. Any guns, ammunition, and provisions of captured enemy troops that cannot be carried off or converted to good use need to be destroyed. Once Yoshua heard these instructions, Pasuk Zion 7, Vayavo Yoshua v'chol am ha-milchama imo alehem al meimarom pis-om. Yoshua went with all his men of war and suddenly came upon them at the waters of Merom, and he vayiplu bahem and pounced upon them. Yoshua moved forward with alacrity, and because he moved so quickly, it was completely unexpected by the northern kings, as they were quite far away. Pasuk Ches 8, Vayitneim Hashem biyad Yisrael, and Hashem delivered them into the hands of Israel. They struck them, they chased them, and the Pasuk ends, Vayakum ad bilti hishir lahem sarid. They killed them until none remained. Pasuk Tes 9, Vayas lahem Yoshua kasher amar lo Hashem. And Yoshua dealt with them just like Hashem had ordered. He hamstrung their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. And so the Psukim continued to describe city after city where Yehoshua comes in and obliterates the inhabitants, leaving no one alive. It's very hard for us to hear about what seems like indiscriminate killing of a native population. It's important to recognize that this directive is directly related to the spiritual risk of allowing idol-worshipping and moral-compromised nations to inhabit the Holy Land of Israel. The risk is just too great to allow the Canaanim a free pass. In fact, let's look at some psukim in the Torah that describe this. Bamidbar, Paraklamid Gimel, Sukim Nunhe and Nunvav. If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those of them who you leave shall be pins in your eyes and a surrounding barrier of thorns in your side. 
Lisikim be'inechem utsninim betzidechem. And they will harass you upon the land in which you dwell. V'tzaruru eschem al ha'aretz asher atem yoshvimba. And what's the result? V'hayak asher dimisi la'asos lahem eser lachem. And it will be that what I had meant to do to them, I shall do to you. Leaving the Canaanim alive put the Jewish people at great spiritual jeopardy. Another source, Devarim Parak Yud Beis, Pasuk Chavtes, when Hashem your God will cut down the nations to which you come to take possession from them, and you shall take possession from them and settle in their land, Beware for yourself, lest you be attracted after them, after they have been destroyed before you, and lest you seek out their gods, saying, How do these nations worship their gods? And even I will do the same. You shall not do so to Hashem your God, for everything that is an abomination of Hashem that he hates have they done to their gods, for even their sons and their daughters have they burnt in the fire for their gods." Again and again and again, the people are warned of the tremendous moral and spiritual risk they are taking by being in the environs of these nations. They are exposed to cultures and mores that will put their religious safety at risk. Why is it that having so many gods is so dangerous? You see that if you have many gods, there is no moral standard or absolute because there are many voices and everybody does what feels right to them, introducing moral and spiritual relativism. But when there's one God, there is a core set of values and expectations that we as a Jewish people must uphold. So... It's not really a matter of Knani versus Jewish nation, but rather morality and justice against immorality and idol worship. Morality and truth must prevail, even when the optics of an all-out war don't look great. And when the press is against us, no matter if the war is justified or not, we are labeled and maligned as cruel. Pasuk Aleph 11. They killed every soul that was there by the edge of the sword where they utterly vanquished. Not one soul remained. And Chatzor, he burned with fire. Yoshua burned Chatzor and only Chatzor as per Moshe Rabbeinu's instruction as mentioned at the end of Pasuk Yud Beis. Kasher tziva Moshe eved Hashem, like Moshe the servant of Hashem had commanded. Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai, an 18th century commentator, suggests that all the other city's refugees were hiding in Chatzor, and therefore it needed to be burned. Pasuk Tesvav 15. Kasher tziva Hashem es Moshe Avdo, ken tziva Moshe es Yehoshua. Just as Hashem had commanded Moshe his servant, so did Moshe command Yehoshua. V'chein asa Yehoshua. And so Yehoshua did. Lo davar mikol asher tziva Hashem es Moshe. He was not remiss in anything which Hashem commanded Moshe. 
And while the war was brutal and Yahushua showed no mercy, this was all by divine direction, both following Moshe's order to Yahushua and Hashem's direct message to Yahushua. It may be hard to listen to the slaughter and complete obliteration of city after city. Wars aren't easy, but when there's a holy war with divine direction, there is clarity of mission and purpose. If we truly understand the risk of evil, then showing compassion is misplaced. We know from Shol HaMelech, which we'll learn about in Sefer Shmuel, that he who shows compassion to the cruel will ultimately be cruel to those needing compassion. How can we be more compassionate than Hashem, about whom we say, Mahurachum af atarachum? Just as he's compassionate, we too need to be compassionate. Pasukiches, after a long description of many cities that Yahushua conquered, Yamim Rabim Asa Yahushua Es Kol Hamlachim Ha'ela Milchama. Verse 18. For a long time did Yehoshua wage war with all these kings. Lo haisa ir asher hishlima el b'nei Yisrael bilti hachivi. Verse 19. There was not one city which made peace with the children of Israel with exception of the chivi, Yoshve Givon, who lived in Givon. Es hakol lachu v'amilchama. They took all of them in battle. Not one city made peace except for the Chivi. And why not? Pasachaf 20, Ki me'eis Hashem haisa lachazek es libam. For it was Hashem's doing to harden their hearts. Lekras ha-melchama es Yisrael. To battle Israel. Leman ha-charimam. So that they would be completely destroyed. Similar to Paro, again connecting us back to Mitzrayim. Because at some point, the road to forgiveness and peace is too foregone. After so much evil, that path is no longer an opportunity. Teshuvah and changing our ways is a privilege. It's not a given. Let's pause and consider this. We are given the gift of undoing, of pivoting when we are pulled in a different direction. And not only are we given this gift, We're given a designated time to open this gift and focus on changing our ways so that we can come closer to the presence of Hashem. Pasuk Chav Gimel, the last Pasuk in the Perak. Vayikach Yehoshua's kol ha'aretz k'chol asher diber Hashem el Moshe, vayitna Yehoshua l'nachala l'Yisrael k'mach l'kosam l'shivtehem. After describing battle after battle, the Perak closes with this Pasuk. Yoshua conquered the entire land according to all that Hashem had said to Moshe. Yoshua gave it to B'nai Israel as an inheritance to their tribal divisions. Even though there were many parts that were not yet conquered, the Mayim Loes explains that the kings mentioned were the most important, and therefore it was as if Yoshua had conquered the entire land. Following Moshe's directive and Hashem's instructions and reassurances, Yoshua fought these battles decisively. And finally, the Haaretz Shakta Mi and the land rested from war. Thank you for studying together Li'ilui Nishmot 
Imotenu Hayikarot, Esther Oppenheimer, Allah Shalom, and Sarah Shanker, Allah Shalom, each deeply devoted and proud to transmit their family's Torah legacy to the next generations.